Crossroad International Church podcast. We're so glad you joined us. It is our prayer that God will use this message to bring comfort to those who are hurting, give hope to those who find themselves in what seems to be a hopeless situation, and to encourage the one who is struggling through a difficult season of life. For more sermon audio, resources, or if you'd like to contact us, please visit CICKuwait.com. We'd love to hear from you. feel like I've been um, beat up and beat up and beat up some more going through the book of First John because everything in there is very practical, how to live for Jesus, how to be a disciple. Then we looked at Second John and Third John and now we're doing the book of Jude and as I studied for this, it was almost like, you know, another trip to the woodshed. If you don't know what that means, ask me later. Uh, Americans know what a trip to the woodshed is. That's when have a little bit of discipline, a little bit of attitude adjustment. And God loves us enough to adjust our attitude from time to time. And I'm just going to go through these um, verses. I'll read them and then talk a bit about them. First, I want to talk about the greeting in verses 1 and 2. It says, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. So the author of this book is a man by the name of Jude, In the Greek, it is the word, the name Judas, and it is the Hebrew, or the Greek name for the Hebrew name Judah. So this is the brother of James. James was the superintendent of the church in Jerusalem, and he is a brother of the Lord Jesus. And it's interesting that Jude introduces himself as the brother of James. Well, if Jude is the brother of James, and James is the brother of Jesus, then Jude is the brother of Jesus. And he's listed in the brothers of Christ, so he was a son of Mary and Joseph, but it's very interesting, you know, in our day and age, that would have been the very first thing. Last, yesterday I was listening to something on the news and they were talking about some big singer and she goes around, I didn't even know who she was, so I'm not going to give you her name, I forgot it already, but she's world famous. And every now and then, her little brother travels with her. And he runs out into the crowd, and he says, I'm her little brother. You want my autograph? And that's what we would have a tendency to do. You know, I'm introducing myself. Here's my CV. Oh, oh, by the way, I'm the little brother of Jesus. But Jude didn't do that. He, he, he didn't drop that name. He just said, I am the brother of 
of James. And he says, I am a bond servant. He identifies himself as a servant of Christ. It's interesting to note that in the Gospels it says that Jesus' family rejected him. And then later on, they had a change of heart to where one of his brothers became the head of the church in Jerusalem, wrote part of the Bible. Another brother is writing this letter. And it seems that they came around to accepting Christ. And he says, I am his servant. And this is a very typical introduction in the New Testament. If you look at the beginning or the introduction of the book of Romans, the book of Galatians, the book of Titus, the book of James, the book of 2 Peter, and here in Jude, these authors all start these books, I am a slave or a bondservant of Christ. Let me give you some good news. We're all slaves today. No longer slaves to sin, but we are slaves to Christ. He is our master. If you're born again, Jesus is the boss. So the author is Jude, and then the audience is believers, and Jude uses three descriptive words to describe the people that he is writing to. First, he said they are called. Called means they have received God's grace through Jesus, and they live faithfully in the light of that calling. See, we didn't understand how God's Spirit was working in our lives before we came to know Jesus. But the Bible says nobody comes to the Father except the Spirit draw them. And it's very interesting that even when we're enemies of God, even when we're blaspheming from time to time or using His name in vain as we did before we knew Christ, the Holy Spirit is still working in us, drawing us to the Heavenly Father. So they were called. And then in the New King James, in the King James, it says that they were sanctified, but it should be rendered more that they are the beloved or they are loved, highly loved by Jude or by God. And then it says they are preserved. So they're called, they're sanctified or highly loved, and they are preserved. This means to guard, to hold firmly, to watch, or to keep. It expresses watchful care and is suggestive of a present possession. So they are preserved in Christ Jesus. Think about that. And as I was studying this, I had it in my mind, oh, they persevered. But that's not what it says. It's not perseverance, it's preserved. Perseverance means I do something to make it through to the end. 
How many of you have ever eaten preserves? I love fig preserves. The figs did nothing to persevere to where I could eat them, okay? Somebody did all of the work and preserved them. And that's what this scripture is saying, is that God has preserved us in Christ Jesus to where we can make it to the end. It's the grace of God. And then he gives them a blessing, mercy, peace, and love multiplied to you. That's a pretty general standard greeting and beginning of a letter in that period. And then he tells them, I want you to contend for the faith. In Jude chapter 1, or there's only one chapter, verses 3 and 4. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago was marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men, who turn the grace of God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Jude said, I really wanted just to write an upbeat letter and just to talk about our common salvation, and, but I heard something and I had to change the letter that I wanted to write and I want to warn you and I want to ask you to contend or to fight For the faith. This means that it's an active contending. It's an active wrestling almost, a a fighting to make sure that we stay in the faith that was delivered to us beforehand. See, the faith that he's talking about that had been entrusted to the saints is the teachings from the apostles, the word of God. And see, these false teachers or these ungodly men were coming in and they infiltrated the church. They didn't come in openly and say, we're going to take over, but they came in as wolves in sheep's clothing, they infiltrated the church so that they could wreak havoc among the people of God. And as a result, Jude is telling them, you must contend, you must fight to keep the faith pure. I was really waiting for Hey Jude this morning, but... We didn't get it, so maybe at the end of service you can try it. No. <laughs> These men, it says that they were condemned already beforehand. It says they were marked out for this condemnation long ago. Isaiah chapter 8, verses 19 to 22, and Jeremiah 5, 13 to 14 
All of those give prophecies um, condemning ungodliness. I'm not sure that that's what Jude was referencing here, but there are many Old Testament prophecies and even New Testament teachings that condemn ungodliness. And he gives two characteristics of these ungodly men. The first one, he says, they perverted God's grace. They turned God's grace into lewdness, into a license to do what they wanted. And secondly, they rejected God's Son. We talked about that over and over again in 1 John, that the reason these guys were false teachers in 1 John is because they denied that Jesus came in the flesh and that he was the Son of God. Let me read you a quote from one of the commentaries I read about this. It says, Claiming liberty in Christ, they interpreted his grace as license to do what their flesh desired with no inhibitions. Not surprisingly, this perversion in practice was accompanied by a perversion of doctrine, the denial of the person and the authority of Christ. One of the teachings that was going on in this day was that God didn't create the flesh, that this, the flesh and the spirit are totally separate. God created our spirit, but the flesh is earthly, so it doesn't matter what you do in the flesh, what you do in the body, it doesn't affect the spirit. So you can have a great time, you can party, you can do whatever you want, and all you have to do is worship God and everything's cool. You can try it, but it doesn't work out too well. The end result is not, it won't be very pleasant. And then he goes on and he gives some examples of ungodliness from the past. He says, here are these ungodly guys, and they have infiltrated the church, but this isn't the first time. Verses 5 and 7. He says, but I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterwards destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode... He has reserved an everlasting change under darkness for the judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. He uses three examples. Egypt. He said, remember... God delivered his people out of Egypt. A great deliverance. Remember all the plagues that he poured on Egypt and finally drowned the army of Egypt in the Red Sea? Mighty deliverance. And then what happened? They murmured, they complained. They sent spies into the land and they said, oh, God's not with us. This is impossible. We can't do it. And because of their unbelief, that entire generation 
died in the wilderness. God delivered them, but because of their unbelief, they died in the wilderness. And he said, remember that. And then he talked about the angels. You remember the rebellion in heaven where some of the angels rebelled against God and he cast them out of heaven? He's talking about that. They followed the rebellion. I'm not going to get much into this, but there's a little controversy over the source of the information where Jude got this about the angels. It looks like that it came from the apocryphal book of Enoch. <clears throat> and so Jude is probably quoting from the book of Enoch. It was written before the time of Christ, and it was known by most of the Christians at that time. And some people have said because Jude quoted from the book of Enoch that Jude shouldn't, this book shouldn't be in the Bible. But Paul quoted from some secular poets in his writings and what the book of Enoch was teaching was that Jesus is coming again Jesus is going to judge people and that's what Jude was talking about here if you want to do some uh, study on it you can do that um, look up the book of Enoch it's one of the apocryphal books and it looks like that's where Jude was referencing then the third thing he talks about is Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom, Gomorrah, and the surrounding towns, they serve as a dreadful example of what happens to those who turn from God to their own nature. They were destroyed by fire. And that's what's going to happen in the end with everyone that doesn't believe in Christ. And then in Verses 8 through 16, he talks about the actions of ungodly people today. He said, here's ungodliness from the past, but don't just look at the past. It's happening today. Now, this was about 2,000 years ago. So let me tell you, it's still happening today. Okay? Verse 8 and 9, or 8, 9, and 10, some of the actions of these ungodly people was they defile the flesh they reject authority and they speak evil verse 8 likewise also these dreamers defile the flesh reject authority and speak evil of dignitaries yet Michael the archangel in contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not to bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these speak evil of whatever they do not know, and whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts, and in these things they can corrupt themselves. So it says that they polluted their own bodies, they defiled the flesh like the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. They rejected the authority like the unbelieving Israelites who rejected Moses and Aaron as God's authority, rejecting God. They slander the celestial beings 
like talking about the angels. And these actions reveal their attitude against God. Now it's interesting, he talks about the archangel Michael. One of the commanders of the angelic army of God contending with the devil over the body of Moses and said that Michael didn't rebuke Satan. He said, the Lord rebuke you. We have to be careful in our words and our talk to people. And I've heard things, oh, I rebuke you, Satan, in the name of Jesus and these kinds of things. No, even the angel didn't do that. They left it in God's hands. We talked about this last week a little bit. But let me just give you some advice. When you're having a problem, when things are going bad, and you know there's nothing you can do, you're at the end, just give it to God. And let God take care of it. But we're real good at bringing our burdens to the cross and sitting them there and praying for a couple of minutes or four or five minutes or maybe even an hour or two. And then what do we do? And we carry it around. And then we get so down and we go back to the cross. We lay it down and we pray. And oh, it feels so good to not have that burden anymore. And then what do we do? And we just go around and around giving it to God and then picking it back up again. It's much easier. Give it to him. Come to me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest because my burden is light and my yoke is easy. Give it to God. Verse 11, it says that they walked in error. Woe to them. For they have gone in the way of Cain. They have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit, perished in the rebellion of Korah. I don't know if you notice here, but Jude likes to use illustrations, and he uses them in triplicate. And here he's saying, these guys, they've taken the way of Cain, disobediently devised their own way of worship, they were envious of others, and they hated others with a murderous spirit. That was the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's era. Balaam, under the guise of serving God, was trying to turn God's people from following God for what? For money. 
And then they have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. Remember, he rebelled against God. He led a revolt against Moses and Aaron, not acknowledging that God had delegated them as the authority. And what happened to him? Now, let's think about this. It says that the earth opened up and he went live into hell. Be careful that you don't rebel against God. And in verses 12 and 13, it says that they led falsely. It seems like these ungodly men, these false teachers, were leaders, some of them, in the church that had come in, infiltrated the church. He says, these are spots in your love feast. While they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves, they are clouds without water, carried about by the wind, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots, Raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame. Wandering stars, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. See, it says that these men, serving their own interest, were even coming into the feast of the church. Partaking of communion partaking in the love feast, the fellowship of the church, serving their own desires, denying that Christ was the Son of God, yet they freely partook of the fellowship of the believers. He said they're clouds without water. They had nothing to give the thirsty people. Late autumn trees without fruit, their lives were fruitless. Raging waves of the sea, there was no foundation to their teachings. And wandering stars, no direction offered for their teaching. Think about, you're out in the middle of the ocean, and your only navigational points are the stars. So you fix on a wandering star. You know, tonight it's here and tomorrow it's over there. I think it's talking more about a shooting star that just... No direction from those things. And that's what these false teachers, they no direction for the people. And then in verse 16, 14 to 16, it says they were pleasing self. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also saying... Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all of their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lust, and they mouth great swelling words faltering or flattering people to gain advantage again 
He is quoting Enoch, a prophecy. We don't have it. It was well known, according to the commentaries that I've read of the people of that day. Enoch's prophecy pointed to the glorious return of Christ to the earth. And Jude is quoting him here. And don't get caught up that he quoted a prophecy from Enoch that we don't have in Scripture. Look at what he says about these people. They were grumblers. They were murmurers. They were fault finders. They were the ones that tried to take the speck out of other people's eyes when they had this big beam in their own. They could find fault in others, but don't point out any fault in them. Know anybody like that? (laughs) We have to be careful. They lustfully followed their own evil desires, and they bragged about themselves, and they flattered others, currying favor only when it was for their own benefit. So all of that's the negative part of this book. And then he comes up to the positive guidelines on how to avoid ungodliness. Verses 17 to 19 says, Remember the teachings of the apostles. Stay in the word of God to avoid ungodliness. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles on, of our Lord Jesus Christ. How they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lust. These are sensual persons who cause division not having the Spirit of God. So he says, remember the teachings of the Word. And then in verses 20 and 21, he says, nurture yourself. But you, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keeping yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ until eternal life. God has preserved us, but there are things that we have to do to avoid ungodliness. Personal edification comes from progressing in the knowledge of our most holy faith. As we grow in the word of God, as we grow in prayer, then we are more likely to stand when false teaching comes than if we are not in touch with God. It says praying in the Holy Spirit. I've heard it taught that that's talking about praying in tongues. It could be but not necessarily. I think praying in the Holy Spirit is praying under the guidance of the Spirit of God that we would go into the Word of God, that He would illuminate the Word, and that we would be filled with His Spirit. And then it says they have to keep ourselves in the love of God. We must understand that God loves us with a holy, unending love. 
And then lastly, they look to the Lord Jesus Christ to his coming. Nurture yourselves. Work on your spiritual life. Read the word. Pray. Fellowship together. That's why it's important to come to church together, to fellowship, to hear the word. But please, don't let this be the only time in the week that you hear the word. Okay, you need it daily. Yes, how many of you eat at least once a day? Most of the time. How many of you eat twice a day? How many of you eat three times a day? You know, I love, one of the things I love about the Brits... Mid-morning tea and afternoon tea, breakfast tea, lunch tea, supper. It's awesome. Sometimes I wish I could be a hobbit. You know, onesies and twosies and, you know, however, what, three or four breakfasts that they ate, you know. We like to eat. You know, Dell said he came back a bigger man than he left, you know. We like to eat. I did too. I went to the States for three days and gained about eight pounds, you know. Why? Because the food was so good and I love to eat. Oh God, give us that desire for the food of your word. Often I think, wouldn't it be awesome? to be so overweight spiritually that you'd have to go on a diet? (laughs) Come on now. If we loved his word as much as we loved food, we'd be a lot better off. Amen? You need to nurture yourselves. And then verse 22 and 23, it says, One of the ways that you overcome ungodliness is by being merciful to others. And on some have compassion, making a distinction, but on others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment that is defiled by the flesh. We need to be merciful. We need to be compassionate on people that are falling into error. That are maybe listening to some of these false teachings. They need to be encouraged, not criticized. They need to be built up, not torn down. And then he said there's some that are just a bit hard-headed I think I fall into that category sometimes. And he said, those, you just got to snatch them out of the fire. You got to be a little more aggressive with some. And I've heard this argument, but I don't want to offend them. Let me ask you, if when you left today, and you walked out in the parking lot and you saw a child running out and you know they were going to be hit by the car that's coming down, would you worry about offending them or would you just rescue them? We'd just rescue them. 
But sometimes we use the excuse of not sharing the gospel with people that we don't want to offend them. I would rather see them rescued and offended than not offended and on their way to hell and then their blood is on my hands. And then he gives the benediction. Victory over ungodliness, verses 24 and 25. I think this is one of the greatest benedictions in Scripture. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Victory over ungodliness is found in one place, in Christ Jesus. He is the one who will keep believers. Christ will present believers to his Father without fault and with great joy, Joy both for himself and for them. Jesus is the answer. Here is the greatest theme of victory to be sounded. The highest note of praise and adoration possible. And the greatest assurance for the redeemed. Now unto him who is able to keep us from stumbling. Now unto him who is able to present you faultless for the presence of his glory. And not just present you, but present you with exceeding joy. Jude attributes to God, to the only God our Savior, glory, majesty, power, and authority, which are all available to every believer through Jesus Christ. Think about that. God's glory is available to us. God's majesty is available to us. God's power is available to us. God's authority is available to us through Christ Jesus. This was true in eternity past, it's true in the present. And it will be true in eternity future. Now to him who is able to keep you. There are things that we have to do. We have to be in the word. We have to pray. We have to fellowship together. We have to do these things. But it's God that keeps us. We are in the palm of God's hand and no one can snatch us out. There is nothing that can separate us from God's love. Amen. Unto him who is able to keep you. Father, we come to you right now and we thank you for your word. Father, I thank you for this this little book of Jude that 
Father, it teaches us how to overcome ungodliness and the, the, the traps that the enemy would try to set. Father, we ask that you would help us to keep our eyes focused on you, focused on Christ, not to be so caught up with our circumstances, but Father, to understand that you are the one that keeps us. You're the one that makes us to be able to walk the path of righteousness. You are the one that leads us by still waters and green pastures. You're the one that lays a table in the presence of our enemies. Father, thank you. Help us to get our eyes off of us. Help us to get our eyes off of our circumstances and to get our eyes focused on you and to follow Christ, who is the author of and the finisher of our faith. Now unto him who is able to keep you. In Jesus' name.